This is Masonic Muscle, episode 33, Strengthening Your Body, Mind, and Soul. I'd like to remind everyone to follow me on Instagram at Masonic Muscle or write to me if there's something you would like to hear about or concerning the mysterious origins, history, traditions, and symbols of Freemasonry or a guest you would like for me to interview. Please email me at MasonicMuscle357 at gmail.com. Don't forget to go on iTunes. Go to my podcast and give me a review that that helps me out and it keeps me uh, bringing better and better material to you listeners. Before we get started, I remind all brethren and non-brethren, especially right now and even before, it, it, this, did, this did not have to happen for someone to tell you to take care of your health, but, but uh, get out there. Uh, put your bodies in motion. Help the blood circulate. Breathe in some fresh air. Take a sun bath for about 20 minutes. Eat better foods and take control of your levels of fitness, both physical and mental and emotional. The stronger the body is, the better it will be able to cope and handle the stresses of everyday life. And if you are a member of a lodge and you're an officer and you're you're committed and you're showing up, you, you know what I mean. There. There's a lot of stresses that are heaped upon us because of the amount of time that is needed and to commit in order to make things work. So, you know, walking, uh, meditation, all that helps to uh, help us cope with the stresses that we encounter, whether it's in the lodge or outside uh, in, uh, with their family or friends or, or what have you. Today's guest is one whom I've had on the show before. If you guys know who I'm talking about, it's Worshipful Jerry L. Smith from South Pasadena Lodge Number 290. He's also a past master of the Southern California Research Lodge. Recently, uh, Worshipful Jerry L. and his son David came down to visit our lodge to witness a first degree and help us bring in a new member, uh, Brother Cesar Cabiedes. And last week, it was last week on Tuesday night, we had about 10 sideliners. The, the degree was solemn. Everyone was prepared for the evening. And overall, you know, the evening went well. Uh, Jerry L., would you like to add something, you know, to that? Sure. Caesar, worshipful Caesar. Um, my son, uh, David, um, was... Uh, raised in uh, South Pasadena Lodge um, in January of uh, 2020 and uh, is now the junior deacon at South Pasadena. And um, when he heard that I was going to be going out to uh, Palm Springs to, to see a first degree, he wanted to come with me and uh it really made a special trip for us and particularly for me i really enjoyed uh seeing uh your your lodge perform perform a degree i was uh very impressed particularly after a couple of years layoff about the um the really solemn way that uh, your lodge conducts itself in its ritual, its uh, floor work and, uh, and the spoken parts uh, being done uh, in, a, in a nice, slow, 
meaningful kind of way and uh, was a real pleasure for both David and I and we we talked about it most of the way home and it was uh, it was uh, really really worth a couple hours to drive out there so I think you mentioned um, a, a word uh, during that evening and you mentioned you said uh, worshipful I really like the deliberate way you guys do your ritual and how you guys deliver your lines. Yes, right? I, I did. I did say that as I often do when I travel to other lodges, particularly if I if I go there, I like to go especially for uh, first degrees. And I, I always uh, when I'm traveling, try to be an ambassador for the Southern California Research mm -hmm. Lodge. And the very first issue that we did in its new format, well, not so new, it was in uh, February of 2016. And the first issue that we published was on the Masonic apron. So I like to, after seeing such a degree, to give a, a copy of that issue to the, the newly initiated uh, entered apprentice and uh, make the point that the apron is the first gift that he has gotten from his lodge and that the ritual only gives you about a minute and a half of information about the significance and the history of the Masonic apron. And our, our issue uh, fills in a lot of that. And gets the uh, gets the new initiate interested and in just the kind of stuff you're doing with your podcast uh, brother caesar um to looking a little deeper than the uh than the uh, ceremony itself i made the point when i was making that presentation at your lodge that an initiation is the start of something and if you just have the start um and that's that's it's superficial in a way not to say that the uh, ritual is at all uh, uh, shallow but um, there's a lot of depths to masonic symbolism and masonic philosophy and if if you if you are going to get it at a deeper level it requires further study and most importantly contemplation and, and meditation to to really understand uh, what what it is all about and um so i i had had a couple of uh, it, it's been a couple of years since i visited another lodge and this is my this is my first venture out into the uh into the uh, realm of of traveling to lodges and uh uh, another thing about Freemasonry is if you just stay in your home lodge all the time, um, you're also kind of cloistered and going out to other other lodges and seeing other other brothers do the work uh, really is uh, it, it broadens your perspective. And so, and it yeah. and it and it extends fellowship uh, in the whole network of uh, of lodges in our area. So it was a real pleasure to be there. Yeah, as and, it and, is uh, here with you this afternoon. Thank you, thank you, and same here. Uh, the the pleasure is all mine. Uh, 
Uh, the, the brothers got a kick out of seeing you guys there when I mentioned it to a couple of brothers. They're like, whoa, really? Jerry L's coming down? I said, yeah. And his son, they're like, awesome. But uh, Jerry L, uh, he presented these uh, magazines that, that were produced, like just like he said, produced by the Southern California Research Lodge. If you guys haven't joined the Southern California Research Lodge, either the digital or the hard copy, please do. Um, the one that he's talking about was on the apron. It's, it's awesome. It's got great illustrations in there and it also has great articles. And he presented it to two EAs because one of them um, got he, uh, John Hightower, our brother, John Hightower, he got initiated right before the pandemic uh, hit and the, the shutdowns were, uh, you know, were beginning to get implemented or the, you know, stay at home orders, whatever we, you want to call them. And so nobody really, uh, presented that to him. So we thank you on behalf of Palm Springs Lodge. We thank you, Jerry Allen and your son, David, for coming down, for uh, participating with us, for um, witnessing that and for the presentation after the degree. And we're not going to give up what we do. We're, we're not going to talk about that right here, what we do after a degree, but it's something that we began to implement uh, here at Palm Springs Lodge. And we have gotten overall a positive you know, a positive uh, response from what we do after a degree with everybody there, with all the officers and the, um, the newly initiated brother. Well, having said that, let's get into it, uh, Jerry L, because all that is interesting. I love it. But the last time I had you here, when I interviewed you the first time, not the last, not the time after that with Dago, because that was on the top 10 list, you know, of the millennium. When I interview you first, somewhere in there, and I should have tracked it down, you, we were talking about the Knights Templars, and you mentioned something that has kept me uh, on my toes regarding that and reignited my interest in the Knights Templars and the whole history and the possibilities of some tie-ins and connections to Freemasonry. And you said that just because, so the Knights Templars are on the run, the Knights Templars are being attacked by the king. The issues have been ordered to get arrested. The Pope is, is uh, in agreement, even though he was somewhat conflicted because of those, the, the knighthood, that brotherhood, that monk order is, you know, a child of the Catholic Church. So he's not going to be, you know, completely with it, but he's getting a lot of pressure from the king as well. Now they're both in on it. And they're on the run. A bunch of Knights Templars on the run. This is history. This is fact. Not all of them were arrested and a bunch of them disappeared. But you said just because there are no written records or minutes of a secret meeting when they're on the run doesn't mean that they didn't meet. Why would they give themselves up? Right. Why would they write something down and give clear evidence that here we are, we're meeting when they're clearly, you know, running for their lives? So that's uh that's what got me going that's what uh you know got my mind thinking and I, and I and you know i haven't stopped thinking about it since you said that so jerry l i'm gonna hand it over to you now and let's begin the discussion yeah the, <clears throat> the uh influence of the uh actual knights templar um, who were who were uh, granted uh, a, a, a uh, an order um, by 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 the Pope and the 
early 1100s. Um, oh, the Constitution, their, their rule. Yes, yeah. their, 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 their rule. And um, they um, were part, they, they had fairly unique status that made them responsible to no one other than the Pope himself. And um, so there's there's been a, uh, a tradition in in Freemasonry that that they have a, a kind of a an ancestral history with uh, with the Freemasons and um, the. Uh, the Knights Templars are probably the most prominent um, element in Freemasonry that uh, illustrates a division on our history as a as a as a fraternity. Um, there there are two schools of thought. Um, the, the one uh, called the authentic school, which is uh, based on historical standards, where uh, you 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 need to have evidence uh, of of uh, happenings, and and the other um, goes by a number of 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 different names. Um, it's sometimes called the esoteric school. It's called symbolic or interpretive or um, speculative, and um, there are a lot of a lot of histories in uh, in Freemasonry about about our our founding. Um, Anderson's Constitutions in 19, in 1723 start with a uh, history of Freemasonry. And they say that Adam is the first Freemason. Um, the actual there being an Adam and an Adam and Eve in, in uh, the Old Testament, um, that's not documented history. That's legendary history, allegorical history. And, and what Masons do is they study symbols and allegories. And um, so starting with, with uh, Anderson and his, and his allegorical history of Freemasonry, was with with Adam. There there was a there was a time when um, our our ritual was based on um, Noah, and called Noahite Freemasonry, and the, the 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 same principle was there. There's lost wisdom, and and uh, under Noahite Freemasonry, and incidentally, there's an issue of fraternal review that's on this subject. Too. I remember, um, and and um, the idea was that uh, Noah died without passing on the secrets of the architecture of the ark, 
to his sons. And so that, that ritual was based around searching for, for those secrets. And um, so I think that with the, the uh, historical group, they make the point that um, the, the connection between Freemasonry and the Knights Templars, who's, who the, the arrest order came out on Friday the 13th uh, in 1307, and probably about half of the French uh, Knights were, were arrested. The other half dispersed, and and after the Battle of Acre in 1291, where the uh, the, the Crusaders were defeated, um, the the uh, that that was the last stronghold in in Israel of of the Knights Templar, and they they. Um, reorganized and moved to, to uh, Cyprus. They had um, uh, uh, headquarters in, in uh, France as well. And uh, during this time when they were suppressed was the time of the, the great schism in Catholicism itself. And there was a papacy in, in uh, Rome. There was another one in, in France. And um, the uh, the Knights Templar had uh, they 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 are, are well documented as having invented banking. They they were involved originally with uh, protecting people that were that were making pilgrimage to to Jerusalem. Uh, after the success of the first crusade for the next hundred years after that um, the the city of uh, Jerusalem was the capital there there was a, a Christian king there and uh, in in uh, I think it was something like 1189 uh, there were nine uh, men who who were the the, the seed group for the Templars, and they were given a home in a, a, on Temple Mount in in uh, Jerusalem, which was the site of uh, King Solomon's Temple. And King Solomon's Temple is another thing that history is also uh, as legendary as it is. Um, historical or, or as, as they say, authentic. Uh, the only sources really that we have for, for King Solomon and his temple are the Old Testament and, and um, oh, what's the historian's name? Josephus. Uh, Josephus. And the, that, that, temple, that temple was dis destroyed and uh, was uh, when when uh, the Babylonians uh, there was the, the the Hebrews were enslaved to the Babylonians centuries before they were they were enslaved in, in Egypt and uh, 
they they rebuilt they rebuilt the temple uh, with the uh, with the help of Darius, who had been their conqueror, had had said they could rebuild the temple, and his successor Cyrus um, backed that up and 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 gave them finances. They rebuilt the temple. It was destroyed again, and then it was rebuilt again uh, during the time of Herod the Great, which is when Jesus was uh, was uh, preaching and and was executed and um so that that time jerusalem was was like the crossroads of the world and all of these uh, greek egyptian uh roman all all of these mystery schools um uh were 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 going at 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 that time and it was believed that there was esoteric knowledge that that was that was to be found in in those uh in in that in those three successive temples and so for for a hundred years the the templars were resident there and and it's believed that they were that they were archaeologists of their day and that they found some of this secret knowledge and that that was um that was something that they were that they were uh keeping and so the the esoteric bona fides of of freemasonry um uh one of the sources that that are postulated uh, is the the templars and their knowledge so where do the templars come into contact with freemasonry we know that freemasonry arose originally in the british isles and in particular scotland and um so the 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 legend has it that uh, a number of them, uh, when they escaped, we we know we know they went several different places. They went they went into the the northern territories, the Germanic areas, and and a lot of them uh, uh, joined uh, chivalric orders uh, there. The Teutonic Knights, in particular, a number of them were believed to have. Uh, join the hospitalers which were a kind of you might call them a rival group but the rival they were group. on the same side mm -hmm. and um where the knights templars are these uh iconic uh they were these iconic white tunics with the red uh uh cross um the the uh hospitalers um wore a black uh attire and so a number of them went there, but the thought is that uh, a number of them went to Scotland and um, went to ground there. They they needed they needed secrecy. The the um, ones that were captured, uh, hundreds of them were were tortured and and burned at the stake um many uh many of them um 
confessed. In fact, just about everybody confessed. The way things worked in those days with the Inquisition, um, they they had uh, they had ways of, of of making anybody talk, and um, uh, Demolay himself was was tortured for seven years. Um, actually, the the origins of waterboarding, which became controversial uh, uh, a few years back uh, in, in this country. That was, that was actually done to Jacques de Molay. And he did confess. And um, in uh, 1314, seven years after he had uh, been arrested, um, he was, uh, he and, and three of his uh, chief lieutenants were, um, were brought to a, 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 a public uh, hearing where they were going to um, confirm their confessions. When Demolay took the stage, he supposedly said, um, uh, I'm, I'm the chief of, of an order that has a, a special relationship with the, with with the church and the Catholic church was indeed universal in Europe in those days. And he said, I answer to nobody but the Pope. And mm -hmm. I, 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 um, I appeal to the Pope. Uh, my confession was, was forced. And, and um, I, 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 I want to, I want to, to get my hearing with the Pope. Well, uh, the king was no more interested in him seeing the Pope than the Pope was interested in having to deal with that problem. Both of them owed great deals of money to, to the Templars who were the bankers of the day. Um, they, it, one of the hardest things about going from Europe and on one of these, one of these um, uh, trips to the to the Middle East um, was that you could get robbed during the time. Well, they, the Templars had these fortresses all through Europe and they would give you uh, uh, a, a check amounted to a check uh, uh, wherever you left from and you could you could uh, use that to get to your money from any of these other other uh, Templar places. So, um, once Demolay made that proclamation, he, he and his companions were taken to a small island in the, uh, in the Seine River. And, um, they were, they, he was invited to Paris by, by the king and, and in fact, uh, uh, was a godfather to, uh, a king's, one of the king's relatives. And, and uh, so um, when, when, he, when he was uh, burned at the stake and they, they did a particularly cruel kind of a thing. It wasn't the big flames that you're, you're used to seeing. They were much more slowly burned than that. And from the stake, he uh, famously, um, uh, challenged the king and the pope to meet him 
before God within the next year. It was kind of like a and, curse, right? And it, it was well, kind of like a curse. Yeah, it, yeah. it was called the Templar curse or the yeah. curse. But uh, the thing that really that really made it legendary was that both the king and the pope died within that year. So that's the way those stories grow. So, so, let, so let me stop you right there. Yeah. Because that, that was uh, great. I mean, you, you brought it from the beginning till, to the end. And the Knights Templars during this time were on the run. As Demolay was right. being tortured, they were on the run for those seven years. So um, for those of you who don't know or haven't read anything about the Knights Templars, um, the original Knights Templars, there was only five of them. And they were all... They all um, were royalty they were all had blood you know uh, royal blood and then uh, if you joined after that when they dug underneath the temple for those five and a half years or what have you when they found, no it's nearly a hundred years they dug underneath the temple they they dug underneath the temple they found something and all of a sudden people wanted to join and become a knight's templar but at the beginning, you had to prove you were of royal bloodline, royal descent. And if you joined, you had to give up your, your dowry, whatever inheritance you had, lands, inheritance. So the Knights Templar Order quickly became very wealthy, very powerful to the point to where they actually had a fleet of ships. I mean, there was no other, only kings or empires had a fleet of ships. Nobody had fleets of ships, you know, let a no, nobody had like one ship, let alone a fleet of ships. And so that's that's one thing to remember. The other thing was that in their rule, their constitution that you were talking about that gave them life, that birthed them to life, it said that their mission was to protect pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land. But there was only five of them. So a lot of historians have pointed this absurdity, this contradiction out, like how can they like, come on, there's only five of them and you're and you're giving them the mission. Their sole mission is to, um, you know, protect the pilgrims coming you know, from anywhere around the world and, and make sure that they're safely escorted to the Holy Land. And but there's only five of them when there's thousands of uh, tribes and, and, and rival, uh, you know, groups trying to just rob anybody or kill anybody tra traveling because you had the the Mohammedan empire uh, back then already. You had the Saracens, you had the assassins in direct competition with the Knights Templars. So you have these, these very intriguing elements going on behind the scenes as the Knights Templars are growing and growing and growing, becoming more and more powerful. And um, another thing to take into consideration is that all these other monk orders, they there was a hierarchy amongst themselves. And, but there was... Like if a cardinal went to go visit your monastery, you had to bow down to that cardinal and you had to take orders from him. The Knights Templars did not. They only answered to the Pope directly and they had an open door policy. There was no other monk order that had this advantage, that had these privileges. I mean, these, this is unheard of. And a lot of the monk orders were, were mad. They were pissed off because everyone else has to go through the regular chain of command. I have to write a letter to the popes and, and it might take a year for him to respond just to tell me no, but yet the Templars can just walk right to the Vatican or walk right in and talk to the Pope. So there's some things to consider as far as 
what was it? What was what was the secret that the Templars or secrets or what have you? And now we're we're you're, you just explained. Now they're arrested. The Grand Master is being tortured for seven years. He's he confessed because of how badly he was getting tortured. But at the end, he recanted. He said, "No, uh, I only said that because of the torture." And you guys still don't know where the treasure is or the Knights Templar fleet is. So let's take it. Um, oh, and one other thing. So the, the constitution is, is, you know, is akin to our Masonic code. You know, that's it. it our Masonic code gives us all of our rules and regulations and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. What are the policies and procedures? That's what the Templar rule is. And all of the monk orders had Templar rules. The Templars got theirs from the Benedictine monks, as well as the Cistercians. So there is a great connecting uh, lineage between the Benedictine monks, which is St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who helped pen the constitutions of the Knights Templars and, and really advocated. And really, uh, he's, I believe he's the one that convinced the Pope of you know, the, the usefulness of the Knights Templars, who I think... who also was a Cistercian, and if he wasn't a Cistercian, he was, you know, in communication with the Cistercian monks because they wore the white mantle, which is where they say that the Knights Templars got the idea to wear the white mantle. And, and on top of all that, there's some other intriguing similarities within the rule of St. Benedict, the Cistercian, you know, uh, practices, and then the Knights Templars, which we may or may not get to tonight. But I just wanted to give a little bit of a, that background for the listeners so they can understand uh, the complexity, right? But the richness of all of these facts that are there that you can look up and you'll find those facts. So uh, there, there you go, Worshipful. That's my contribution. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll add as well that um, they, were, they were charged with a, a number of uh, crimes. Hmm. Um, some of them, some of them were things like, um, fitting on the cross yeah. and, and this kind yeah. of thing. And, really, um, really bad and grotesque, um, but, but based, based on my, uh, research on this and I first started Dima Lay, the, the youth order of, of Freemasonry, um is is uh based on and it's ritual is based on these um these historical events and um i got i got very interested in in that and started doing research uh back when when i was at Malay for seven years before i became a mason and um uh my so I've been reading about this stuff for for a long, long time since I was fourteen. I'm seventy six now. Um, I think that those things like the um, spitting on the cross and that kind of thing, I think that was training for them. After they very quickly grew in number, there were tens of thousands of them. And and there were three different categories. There were there were uh, the clerks who I think wore green. There were the 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 priests, and then there were the the knights. <clears throat> they were all 
Knights Templars, but they they um, there were different oh, ranks. Yeah. yeah, and and they they were the most formidable um, uh, fighting uh, group. They they were the they were like the Green Berets of the of the Crusades, and. I think that the stuff about spitting on the, the cross and things like that uh, were training them to be able to resist being tortured by the Muslims if they were captured so that they would might be called on to do things like that as a way of humiliating them and breaking down their will when they were captured. So that, that's what I think was going on uh, there. They also were charged with uh, worshiping uh, Baphomet. And, and, and Baphomet is another whole subject sometime. But uh, one, one, one theory that was that uh, one of the relics that they had was the head of John the Baptist. And that that was what uh, Baphomet was. But but that's that's all in the side as interesting as it is, um, right? Getting to the connection with with Freemasonry, being the bankers of the time, and from the 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 uh, start of of the the second millennium was when there were all of these buildings all over Europe that were being made out of stone, castles, cathedrals, the palaces of the, of the wealthy and the noble, nobility and the kings. And um, so the, the, the most credible, even by the historian, the 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 authentic school of the historians um, trace the the beginnings of Freemasonry to the operative stonemasons guilds, and um, given the fact that the the um, the Templars were the financiers of the day they would naturally have had direct relationships with the, with the, the uh, stone masons because they were the builders and the Templars were the financers. So the theory is that um, the, the uh, Templars that escaped into, into England uh, and and um, uh, particularly into Scotland, um, that uh, Robert the Bruce, you know, during this period of time, this is this is the Braveheart era. Right. There's there's a constant running war between the Scots and and um, England, the English, mm-hmm. and um, the. Uh, the brave Braveheart, of course, went down, but um, and and if you're what you're familiar with is the movie. Yeah, William um, Wallace. The, I don't know that there's a particular. Um, uh, I don't think that 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 the the scene where Robert the Bruce betrays Braveheart 
I don't know if that's actually uh, accepted historic fact, but it was great drama for, for, for the movie. But when the Scots actually, actually got their victory and had relative independence for a couple of centuries, was at the Battle of Bannockburn, uh, Bannockburn. Um, and that was that was also in 1314, just just a couple of months after after De Malay, uh had been executed, and the 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 their uh, the 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 legend at least surrounding that battle was that the battle the the, the Scots were 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 outnumbered two or three to one. And they prevailed in the battle, and the, the the widespread story was that at a critical point, they there was suddenly a, a a troop of cavalry that came out of nowhere and turned the battle, and um, that that was was thought to be uh, the the um, now there are a lot of historians that'll say, you know, that's in 1314, and uh, they were finally defeated at Acre in 1291. That's uh, 23 years later. Any anybody that was a that was a, a a warrior there was an old guy, and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and. So there's no real solid historical evidence that that those those, those were temporal. And I'll pause. But, pa pause right there. Yeah. Because that's one of the highlights that John J. Robinson made right in his book, Born in Blood. He really, uh, it, it kind of, uh, the book kind of climax at that point where he was pointing out some very odd things that happened at that battle and how... Right how it was still Catholic country, Scotland was, so they were welcome, the Knights Templar were welcome, and that it, during that time, it was, it was already well known how well skilled the Knights Templars were with the sword, where it was even rumored that the Knights Templars said that if it was like a one-on-one -on -one battle, they considered that not to be fair, that if it, but three-on-one, three-on-one was fair, three, three, of the enemy against one Knights Templars was a fair fight because that's how well they were trained. Now, uh, what I remember the book saying was that at the crucial moment during that battle, uh, all of a sudden, a, a, a force, an army came out of nowhere and changed the tide of the whole battle and that the enemy recognized whoever this uh, force was and ran like they were yeah they, they, were they panicked dropped yeah. their weapons ran and mm -hmm. you go down the run and another guy's in a horse with a sword um you know it uh, it uh was it was really a a, a, a historic uh the the fact that they won the battle is a well established uh historically but but who were those guys and there's been a lot of uh, explanations uh, of uh, of who they of who they might be, but whether or not they were that uh, group or not, 
Um, I think that there is very strong reason to believe that a number of uh, a number of the Knights Templars possessed of whatever esoteric knowledge they got from that century where they were uh, the occupants of, of the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that they were in Scotland. And the, the, the theory goes that um, they, they were protected by, by um, Robert the Bruce and that, and that he that he got them into um, the the uh, stonemasons' guilds of that time. Well, whether they were in that battle and that they got they they got their entree to to that that um, uh, th those uh, Masonic uh, I mean the the uh, operative masons' guilds um, they. It, it would make sense that, that what what would they do when they got to Scotland? There was still all of this building going on. This is during the era when when Roslyn uh, was built, when when that this kind of building was going on. It went on. It went on through to the 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 last big cathedral. Um, was was uh, completed uh, in the 1260s under under um, uh, the architect Wren, who may or may not have been a Mason, but the 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 connection there for for um, for these Templars to to have joined that and to have brought whatever esoteric knowledge they have um, into those guilds. We do know that, that as the, the building of these, these great uh, edifices was tapering off uh, in, in the 1600s, that the, the uh, Mason's guilds started accepting uh, non-operative um, masons in. That's mm -hmm. when you see free and accepted mason. A free mason is somebody that has uh, gotten the education to to acquire the skills to be a stone mason and is thus free to go anywhere and and work as a stone mason. The accepted part is. Uh, based on these people that started being invited to join those those guilds, in and um, we we know that uh, by the the late 1500s um, that that this was that this was happening. We we have actual um, rituals and things like that. And and the stonemasons aren't aren't exceptional in that. Uh, a lot of craft uh, guilds um, use the 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 uh, tools and the methods of their particular craft as um, 
in the same way that that speculative masonry nowadays does with the with with the tools and and the principles of architecture um, that that they got from from the stone masons guild um, there are uh, a, a number of of books um, one of them which uh, I've been very impressed with is a book called Cracking the Mason's Code by uh, Robert L.D. Cooper, who is um, the curator of the uh, Library of the Grand Lodge of Scotland. And um, in, in that book, he talks a lot about this and, and he actually has a whole chapter that's that's talking talking about the guild of uh, clothiers yeah and 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 he details the, the similarity between those he's got a number of books and uh, they're well written uh you know i don't agree with everything but he's he's got clout you know he's got a lot of uh a lot of experience a lot of knowledge a lot of research is a member of all the most prestigious masonic and, research and he, uh, circles and he concludes in that book because he he takes on this issue about the 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 um, the, uh, the nice Templars, Templars and and um, uh, he's in a unique position to have really researched it deeply and and he he is of the opinion that due to lack of evidence um, the that the the Templars um were not direct ancestors of of the um of the freemasons but here's where you get to what we were talking about you and i um these are um at the end of our prior conversation and it 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 goes to a thing i i was <laughs> I, I, I was a litigation attorney uh, from uh, 1975 till 2009. The last 28 years of that, my, my specialty was claims on major construction projects. So there's kind of <laughs> wow. A, 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 wow. A, a connection there. That's right. why I know that the, what kind of relationships there are with the designers, the financers and the builders in the building code, even even to this day, but there's also uh, a principle among uh, trial lawyers, and that is that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So the absence of evidence of the 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 actual uh, Templar connection does not mean that it is impossible that that connection really exists. Mm. And as you made reference to in your introduction this evening, and as we had talked about near the end of our prior conversation, there's every reason in the world why um, everybody involved, if there were, if there were, um Templars who were under a death warrant 
from from the king of France. They were under uh, uh, a uh, order. I think that the formal dissolvement of the of the um, the Knight Templar order didn't happen till like twenty. I mean, uh, thirteen. 10 or 12, it was a few years after the, the order was actually suppressed and all of their, all of their goods that had been confiscated were, were given over to the um, hospitals. But- um, can, I, can I pause you right there? Sure, uh, sure, go ahead. Uh, Jerry, because uh, right now, uh, you, know, you, you said something regarding Cooper's research and, you know, the absence of evidence does not mean that there's evidence of, of absence. And then you describe, you connected your experience of being a litigation lawyer in the field that, you, that you're in. This, this always makes me remember something I read years and years and years ago. It's in a book called America's Secret Establishment, an introduction to the Order of the Skull and Bones written by Anthony C. Sutton. And I, I believe he was a he's a or he was or he is I think he's still alive or maybe not a professor, and so he began to do research. And in the beginning part of the book, it's beautiful because it's only one paragraph, so I can share it to connect, how reinforce what you just said about absence of evidence that does not mean you know evidence of absence, and also how history is written by the winners. I think we all have a concept of that. I think we all understand what that means, right? But look, listen to what he said. And this was memorandum number one. And the question is, is there a conspiracy explanation for recent history? That's the question. And this is what he wrote. The reader anxious to get into the story of the order, you know, order of the skull and bones, uh, should go directly to memorandum number two. All right, memorandum number two, but we're not going to get into that. We're going to just get the official establishment history. Okay. He says, there is an establishment history. An establishment history meaning the winner's right history, right? That's, that's what I take that as, an establishment history. An official history, which dominates history textbooks, trade publishing, the media, and library shelves. The official line always assumes that events such as wars, revolutions, scandals, assassinations are more or less random unconnected events. By definition, events can never be the result of a conspiracy. They can never result from premeditated plan group action. An excellent example is the JFK assassination when within nine hours of the Dallas tragedy, TV networks announced the shooting was not a conspiracy, regardless of the fact that a negative proposition can never be proven and that the navigation had barely, that the investigation had barely begun. Woe betide any book or author that falls outside the official guidelines. Foundation support is not there. Publishers get cold feet. Distribution is hit and miss or non-existent. Just to ensure the official line dominates, in 1946, the Rockefeller Foundation allotted $139,000 for an official history of World War II. This is to avoid a repeat of debunking history books which embarrass the establishment after World War I. The reader will be interested to know that the order we are about to investigate, the order of the skull and bones, right? Or like the order of the Knights Templars, like we're, we're kind of doing a little light 
uh, investigation, had great foresight back in the 1880s to create both the American Historical Association and the American Economic Association. Most economists were then more historians than analysts under their terms with their people and their objectives. Andrew Dixon White was a member of the order and the first president of the American Historical Association. The reason I read that is because it, I began to wonder, is there an established, like this, this is established, recognized, accepted historical line of Freemasonry? And is someone protecting it? Like this book is mentioning here, where if you go outside of that line, you're, you're just not going to get published. And just simply by, by what you said right now about that you're being a litigation lawyer and you having these, this understanding that right there, it just, it triggered my mind to, to this point that we cannot like just set aside. We can't just know, no, you know, there is no connection. Well, here we are talking about possible connections again. And, uh, a lot of people just are not convinced, right? Is, is that what I'm getting? They're just not convinced that no, there is no connection. Yeah, I think that that, that is the case. I'd, I'd like to uh, recommend to, uh, to our listeners here uh, a little essay um, uh, by uh, Robert G. Davis, who's a uh, 33rd degree Grand Cross, uh, Scottish Rite, uh, Mason, and uh, just last year was the Grand Master of Oklahoma, titled The Origin of Freemasonry Doesn't Really Matter. And he talks about these issues and, and, and um, uh, the paragraph I'd like to read um, is, um, Moving into an entirely different arena of origin, we also have the mystical and eccentric esoteric theories which center our beginnings among the alchemists, Rosicrucians, the Illuminati, and the Hermeticists, and from which our allegorical forms were undoubtedly sired. But why would groups of whose adherents swore to secrecy and who refused to claim any form of organizational structure suddenly align themselves with an organization which was clearly social and civic in nature. Um, so there, there's, there's every reason why they are going to maintain their secrecy. They're, 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 they're not going to be to be flying under the flag of something that is going to raise a red flag for the people that are that are um, that that are are seeking them. Um, I'd like to also, as long as we're reading, I'd like to read you a page out of another book called "The Secret History of Freemasonry: Its Origins and Connection to the Knights Templar" by Paul Naudon, N-A-U-D-O-N. And, and he's gonna, he, you're gonna get a little bit of history here uh, and he sums it up a lot tidier than I did. Awesome, let's do it. He says, uh, the legend extends much further than does the historical data to support it. 
As recorded and handed down by several authors, Robert the Bruce is said to have founded in, in favor of the Freemasons, the Royal Order of Herodom of Kilwinning. At this time, he is said to have raised the lodge founded in 1150, concurrent with the foundation of the Kilwinning Abbey, to the rank of Grand Royal Lodge of Herodom of Kilwinning. Ancient chronicles also say that fugitive Templars in Scotland enlisted under the flag of Robert the Bruce, where they contributed mightily to the successful outcome of the Battle of Bannockburn, in which 30,000 Scots defeated 100,000 English. This can be taken as fact. But legend goes on to add that King Robert rewarded the Templars by creating at their request the Order of the Knights of St. Andrew of the Thistle, reserving for himself and his successors the title of Grand Master. Initiations into the order were supposedly performed according to the style that had been practiced among the Templars. During the time of the Reformation, the order was suppressed and all its goods confiscated. In 1685, the Stuart monarch James III restored it. In accordance with the king's intent, it was to be a sign of distinction and reward for Freemasons. Just what value can be ascribed to these legends, he asks. Are they more likely to be true given the protection and favor showed the Templars by Robert the Bruce? Or should we think to the contrary that they were imagined after the 1680s after 1685 by partisan supporters of the Stuarts in order to give for political purposes titles of credence and nobility to the Scottish Masons whom they governed. Historically speaking, it is impossible to answer these questions. Any explanations that can be made belong to the domain of hypothesis. Now, this part I think is really in the interest of sticking to verifiable facts among the probabilities they justify, we can summarize the following role attributable to the Templars in the formation of Freemasonry. One, the Templars form monastic builder associations that possess Greco-Roman traditions passed bound by the Benedictines and the Cistercians. You mentioned that earlier. Yes, sir. Two, the Templars had close ties to Christian and Muslim architonic, architectonic associations in the East and were subject to their operative and initiatory influences. Three, in Europe, the Templars were the source of the creation and development of builders' associations that long enjoyed specific exemptions. The terms Francs Métier and Freemasonry are derived from those associations. Four, following the dissolution of the Templar orders, a certain number of Templars were incorporated into the mastery associations of the builders. To give a wider, wider illustration of the formation and survival of free builders associations over the centuries in the Templar domains, we will give close attention in the next chapter to the example of Paris, seat of the most important commandery in Europe and headquarters of the Templar order following its abandonment in the, of the Holy Land. So um, that there, there's also a couple of other really good books um, uh, on, on, on this subject by, by um, 
Sanford Holst, to who, who I'll just mention in passing, was the editor of the Fraternal Review up until 2013. He was succeeded by Doug Russell in 2014. And just along with that, I'll make another plug. Brother Doug is taking a sabbatical year this year from the Fraternal Review. And while he is out finishing his book, he's been working on, on the uh, sacred art of memory. Um, the, the, we have an interim uh, editor-in-chief, and it's Angel Millar, who is also a very distinguished very nice. uh, uh, Masonic scholar. Anyway, Templar Inferno, Knights of Rebellion by Sanford Holst, and, and, and also um, Sworn in Secret, Freemasonry, and the Knights yeah. Templar. Yeah, I remember when Brother Holt was... Uh, was um... I'm because I met him at Grand Lodge Communication and he was uh, at that time promoting his book. I think the book had just come out or it was about to come out. And he was, uh, if you buy it, he can, he had a bunch of signed copies or he'll sign it for you. And uh, he just disappeared. All of a sudden, he just gone. Uh, you know, he was prominent and then gone. So I just, that's another thing I remember. But um, what you just read, and again, the connection with the Benedictine monks and the Cistercians. There was something I shared with you, and I said, hey, if the opportunity arises, I want to share this with you and the rest of the listeners, and that is some similarity. It's, so this is an article I got from uh, uh, Philalethes. Is that how you pronounce it? Philalethes. Philalethes magazine. Um, you know, I bought their, their DVD, and it has all of their, the, all of their past issues from the beginning. So I found a bunch of them that had to do with Benedictine order similarities and uh, Knights Templars. And I'm going to be sharing it with the listeners as, as time goes on. But this one, I thought it was perfect because uh, it explains some of the similarities. And, I, and all, I'll, all I'll do is just uh, read a little bit and then go to the similarities. So we don't spend, you know, it's nine, it's nine pages long, but I just, I can just read this for you real quick. It says, there are three, there's that number again, three striking similarities between the Templar ceremonies set out in the rule, you know, their constitution, and the inner apprentice ceremony of speculative masonry. The first is a bifurcated preparation sequence for the new Templar candidate, when he would be questioned twice about his desire and motives for joining the order by senior brethren in a special chamber, remind you of anything, near the chapter room. A report to the master and chapter separated the two interrogations. That's pretty cool. And I think a lot of lodges are trying to get back to that, which is, uh, I know your lodge has definitely got back to that. And my lodge is still working, but we we're in talks and we just, you know, are, the, are the you guys using a chamber of reflection yet? Uh, no, that's why I'm saying we're, we're you, in the you, process. You gotta be heading in that direction. Bro. Oh yeah, no, we're, we are, we're, we're in the process of, uh, of, uh, the room, getting the room ready and then, making the, helping the members understand why we're doing it you know because a lot of them are just uh they're just unaware okay we've, we've got a fraternal review issue on that too by the way well i'm gonna have to get uh, buy a few issues from you and bring them yeah in. so okay here and so continuing on after the new templar took his vows and was cloaked in the mantle of the order the rule required that the chaplain say the psalm 
uh, which is the Psalm, which is Psalm 133. That's, that's what was required. The words of the Psalm, oh, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity are familiar to many Masons as uh, to many Masons as part of the inner apprentice ceremony. Right. And lastly, a third Masonic ritual similarity in the temple rule is found in the ceremonies regarding readmission to the order of Templar brethren that had been expelled for disciplinary reasons. After the master made, made a determination that the expelled brother had met the criteria for readmission to the order. Oh, give me a minute here. Uh, uh, the ex-brother was required to undress to his breeches before entering the chapter with the rope around his neck. Now, I remind the brethren, I am not creating that. I am not inventing that. This is from the very own, you know, uh, um, history, documented historical records of the Knights Templars, which we also have for the Benedictine uh, monks, which I'll be sharing in, in a little bit, just, just to show the connection. There is a thread. But what I think is happening here, and maybe maybe you've thought of it, Worshipful Jerry L, or maybe you haven't. What I think is what part of what might be happening here is there's brothers back then, just like there is now you and I, that read a lot, study a lot, and we begin to make connections. So I imagine these connections were made back then just as well. But I think the real difficult thing about that is that if we accept, okay, yeah, let's just say, yeah, hey, we get it, the Benedictine Cistercian and the Nice Templars, we do have a direct lineage. Well, that's going to mean that now the Masonic order truly does have a Catholic origin and, and Catholicism and Masonic fraternity being you know, at odds from the Catholic side, not from the Masonic side, that will open up a can of worms that maybe many of us are not ready for to begin to try and work our way, you know, through all of that. But just like I read right now, those three similarities of the temporal rule, you cannot but how but say, wait a minute, then how did it find its way into our ceremonies? Even if the ceremonies didn't come to the three degree ceremony, that we know into 1738. Okay, still, who had the Templar, you know, rules or constitutions back then that had access to them was Rena was well aware and that spread them throughout the whole first, second, and third degree. Who, how? So that's some of my questions that I wanted to propose to the to the listenership and to you. Well, and as for Catholic backgrounds, from from from. Uh, the Nicene Council in 325 AD, I think it was, uh, through, through to the Reformation, um, the, the Catholic Church had, had a, a monopoly on, uh, on Christianity for, for well over a, a millennium. And um, their, their condemnations of uh, masonry uh, uh, came about um, uh, later once once Freemasonry Freemasonry existed clearly for at least a hundred years and probably considerably more uh, before the the um, formation of the first Grand Lodge in in England in 1717. 
and um, the uh, <clears throat> and and of course uh, the British uh, break with uh, with uh, the Catholic Church was during um, Henry VIII's reign uh, in 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 the uh, early mid fifteen uh, hundreds. Uh, and and of course uh, Martin Luther and the and the Reformation came about um, in 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 the fifteen hundreds um, as as well. But uh, a lot of um, a, a lot of the misinformation uh, about Freemasonry um, was uh, uh, you know was came 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 after that and and a lot of that was because the catholic church was uh was fight, fighting against uh you know losing its uh, universality and um <clears throat> they uh, there was there were direct threats there was direct exactly. threats to its uh to its uh power and perceived uh, authority so what i think just to clarify a point right here you were mentioning that uh, from the time grand lodge uh made itself known to the world 1717 and then the catholic excommunication you know of uh of masonry uh papal bull against freemasonry 1738 there was a considerable amount of time in between them uh years 17 20 something years so they had plenty of time to study this this uh interesting parallels between the knights templar rule of knights templars uh, the benedictine rule the cistercians and the possible connection and how if the stonemasons being uh, living in a Catholic country, building all these monasteries, working directly with the Cistercian monks, working directly with the Knights Templars, with the Benedictine monks, th there was no other thing but to get influenced by what they saw from them, those brethren and attending mass and the ceremonies of allowing, uh, you know, postulant members and, and what have you. So, so it, it, it falls in line, but you have to keep, you know, you have to uh, stay on the on the thread. You, you you can't lose the thread and the chain of thought. And so going back, going back now, uh, Jack de Molay, the Knights Templars are on the run. And I wanted to explore one last thing with you before uh, we begin to uh, uh, wrap this part of our uh, of our discussion up. And the Knights Templars are on the run, and they had these safe houses all over the place. Um, and, and John J. Robinson makes a point of, of pointing this out, that there is no other way that they could have escaped unless they had already in place safe houses. And also, at those safe houses, you weren't just going to show up and knock on the door and then they're going to let you in. There, was, there had to be a series of code words or knocks or something to alarm the, the inhabitant of the house that it was you, that, that it can only have been you because that's the only person that could have had these uh these secret codes or or what have you and so that lends to something that we've run into now as far as guarding the west gate and guarding the west gate was like crucial to this point of the escape of the knights templars and making sure that they were not going to get betrayed so they had to guard the west gate and they did it in like you, you know uh exemplary style uh, so what do you have to say about that uh, worshipful 
Well, I, I, I do think uh, um, that, uh, you know, why, why, why are we secret? Um, and, and the, the, this is something that's, that's ancient, more, more ancient than, than the, the, the Grand Lodge. Um, that's, that's, that's the modern era. And, um, they're, they're, the big reason for, for having Grand Lodges is to create some, some, um, uniformity in 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 the ritual but the need for secrecy um i i think that 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 um that that comes about uh uh for a reason and and the the reason being um uh related to the Templars makes sense as well, because um, the, uh, the operative Mason guilds didn't need to be secret. Um, you could tell who was an operative Mason just by looking at the uh, local uh, building project and there they are. Um, but uh, Having having a motive to be secret, I think, is one of the things that that is most suggestive to me of of a connection to an early connection uh, with the with the uh, outlawed um, Templars. Um, if 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 they if they were if they were discovered, um, then then they were potentially subject to to arrest to to imprisonment to torture or 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 even um, execution and um, I think that the fact that it was uh, a literally a mortal danger to be discovered is why we have um, the uh, the uh, oath penalties that we do, which uh, otherwise seem rather arbitrary and gory, um, but uh, we're talking about people who who had to worry about if they were discovered, they could they could lose their freedom and 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 potentially uh, lose lose their life. It was um, all bad. It was all bad they, for them. And so they and and using using passwords and 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 the very idea of having a um, a brother outside the door armed with a sword um, to to protect the meetings, um, I think I think those are all uh, very suggestive of there being some kind of need um, to to. Uh, to be undiscovered and to make sure that anybody that did come to the meeting, because, you know, it's, it's, it's not like this was a, an isolated group. There were, there were operative Masons spread all over, all over, uh, and 
Europe and 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 the Middle East and Northern Africa and and uh, all all of all of those places. And so, um, if you're going to have a, a broader society, um, you're you're going to have uh, visitors that that come to you that you don't know. Uh, they're 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 maybe moving there or they may just be visiting like i was at your lodge recently um but you you had to have a way of uh of uh identifying yourself and of verifying that we have a very short little reference to how that came about in in our ritual but just like we were talking about er at the very beginning here um the ritual uh the ritual is just the start of your understanding of these things, but why? Why have these things? And and the um, the uh, Templar connection certainly um, offers uh, uh, one of those. And of course, later uh, by by the 18th century, we started having these condemnations of uh, Freemasonry itself um, by by the Church, which was still um uh very very powerful there were still the inquisition still uh, technically it still exists um uh cardinal ratzinger before he became pope um was the head of it um and and uh they of course uh, it's not but it's not called that now it's called the no it's not the called the, the doctrine of the faith or something like yeah, that ex yeah well and that was the idea of what the inquisition was hmm. was they were they were they were making sure that the standards of the faith were 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 being upheld but the 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 bankruptcy of the legitimacy legitimacy of that is amply illustrated with Galileo, who who had the 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 uh, the <laughs> the heresy of saying that um, the Bible was wrong and that the that the <laughs> Earth isn't the center of the universe. Right. Right. Well, and it's it's pretty obvious now. I guess there's still a few hundred thousand people that believe that the Earth is flat. Yeah. Um, that's amazing to me, but, uh, you so, know, um, so let me, let me ask you something about that. And, and cause I want to, I want to bring it back to, um, the Knights Templars, they had to be absolutely sure and safe and they, the code words and, and I mentioned guarding the West gate. And so at the, even at, even at the very end, uh, because they were guarding the West gate by and so were the benedictine monks and the uh and the cistercians like you couldn't just go there and just join no they had certain things that you had to do and and it was tough and a lot of times you had to wait for about a year and which i think with the cistercians or the benedictines i think the benedictiners uh they they uh they they had you know in the rule if someone came and wanted to join you had to keep them outside for a certain length of time and they they uh that is known within their rule as they're knocking at the door very familiar you know uh to us but they guarded the west gate and so any organization is only as strong and powerful 
and uh, dare I say elite as the quality of the members that you are letting in, that you are allowing to come in. And that's guarding the Westgate. And that takes time and effort. And there are some members that understand it. There's others that don't. There are different opinions. They, they, they fight it. They don't fight it. Um, you, you know, and this has a detrimental effect on any organization, but especially ours. And, and, and if you've been involved in it as long as you have, as long as I have, you, you, you come to understand how important guarding the Westgate is, whether it's three months, whether it's six months, whether it's 12 months. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell us a little something on your thoughts on guarding the Westgate and not only just the nice Templars, but Freemasonry today and how important that is. Well, as a prelude, um, let me, let me uh, note that, um, you know, I think it's pretty well established and agreed by by the by the uh, authentic as well as the uh, the uh, esoteric or or uh, symbolic school of of thought um, in the in that 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 we that we were that we are direct descendants of of the. Uh, operative mason gills and when you were an operative mason it was like five six seven years uh, that you were an apprentice and then you became a fellow of the craft and it was several more years as a fellow of the craft before you were were uh, considered a master of the craft so that that sequence comes directly from them, <clears throat> but um, guarding the West Gate. First of all, why the West Gate? Well, um, because the um, entries to a Masonic lodge are in the West, um, in the in the uh, Southwest. Uh, south side of the west wall is the is the Tyler's entry, where where members come into the lodge, and that's 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 guarded by by um, by the Tyler with with the sword, and the the um, candidates come in through through a door on the north side of of the, the the west wall and they come in um to to uh and enter in, in, into each each of the degrees and they come in between the the uh the pillars uh boaz and jockin and um so that is guarding the west gate is um is a a, a metaphor for um, who do you let become a Mason? And um, that, that is a, a really touchy subject. Um, there's, uh, there are some really good books that go into this. One of them in particular, uh, um, Island Freemasonry by uh, John Bizzak of uh, of uh, Kentucky uh, uh, 
who's uh, a past master of um, of uh, Lodge there, Lexington number one. Um, and uh, the the idea of 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 the the metaphor for the title is that today's masonry is a vast sea of uh, basically social lodges that don't really connect with the esoteric uh, elements of of uh, of Freemasonry, and um, <clears throat> that the islands are what are now being called uh, observant lodges, and um, uh, that. That is um, uh, uh, a movement of uh, fairly recent origin to to um, restore a lot of the the best of the old traditional uh, uh, observances that that Freemasonry has. Um, for those who are listening or not familiar with it. Uh, the Masonic Restoration Foundation, and you can there, you you can Google them and and see what that's about. Uh, they they have been um, uh, leading the charge on that uh, for the last thirty or so years, and it's a movement that's really um, picking up steam, and it's particularly. Um, important for lodges that are that are interested in in doing that doing doing their degree work the way I was describing seeing you guys degree work um, uh, it's a completely different ceremony when when you're getting uh, a deliberate and meaningful uh, uh, presentation rather than if somebody's just memorized something and they're rattling it off, it just doesn't have the impact and 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 the meaning. And uh, if you go on their website, there's a wonderful piece in there called, and I know you're very familiar with it, uh, the eight steps to excellence. And oh, yeah. the very first one is uh, says that the the um, the lodge is no uh, more or no less than yeah that that, that uh, people could only become masons. Who, who are who are really serious about it I'm looking here at uh, observant Freemasonry which right. is the um, our, our issue that, that that was on that and um, they uh, they, they uh, that that's one of the very first things that um, that's emphasized is is um, is that um, Let's see, where was that? It, it, it is the intent of Freemasonry that the fraternity is above all else an initiatic order whose main purpose is to teach good men to subdue their passions, become masters over themselves and grow in life to be better men. It is the intent of Freemasonry that only those who are duly and truly prepared are eligible to be admitted as members. Determining the qualifications of men and seeking admission is an essential aspect of upholding the integrity 
of our institution, ancient institution. And that, that's, that, is, that is what it, it is about. Um, in, in, um, uh, particularly, particularly in, in, um, in Brother Bizak's writing, he traces a history of, of uh, there's, there's spectacular growth in Freemasonry like there was after World War II. And then there's a decline. And when it starts declining, the historical pattern has been for, for uh, under the guidance of grand lodges that are very well motivated, but um, there, 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 there is uh, a movement to keep up the membership by making it easier, yeah. faster, yeah. cheaper, more simple. We shot ourselves in the foot. Kind of stuff. Yeah, we shot ourselves in the both feet on that one. Right, and yeah. so regarding the Westgate, and I'm I'm developing a talk on this subject that I'm gonna that I'm gonna give at the uh, at. Um, South Pasadena's uh, uh, Illumination Lecture Series the first Monday in, in um, June. Um, and then I have another couple of appointments at other lodges uh, subsequent to that about how, how you go about doing that. And um, one of them is to write from the start, you know, we don't, we don't recruit. Um, you, as they say, in order to become a Mason, you have to ask a Mason. Um, but uh, there are a lot of lodges, uh, and I know this from personal experience, where you can you could come to a stated meeting and uh, be given a a, a, a a petition to to join for for degrees at the end of the that 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 meeting. Yeah, that and, dinner. And, yeah, and 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 all they want is a guy with a with a clean uh, uh, criminal record and and um, and the pulse and 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 the and the money to pay the dues. <laughs> and um, right, right. Those those kind of lodges typically, and I was raised in one myself. Uh, um, and that was at the peak. Uh, I think there are, we peaked out in the mid '60s, and I was raised in '66. But I didn't become active in masonry until I retired from being an attorney. Um, and and uh, a lot of the, a lot of that was because um, there just wasn't much interest. Uh, in in learning the deeper stuff and the so-called esoteric okay. stuff. Okay, so I want to pause you right there because you mentioned the esoteric and how you know you 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 joined the lodge and you you went away from the lodge for a number of reasons, but one of the biggest one was that it just wasn't getting into what you wanted to get into, which was the esoteric. And there's a lot of brothers out there. And you listeners listening, there's a lot of brothers out there that will tell you, oh, I'm not into the esoteric. You're into the esoteric. And they never give a definition of what the esoteric is to them. But 
whatever it is, they, they, they don't want it. They don't want the esoteric. So there seems to be this general confusion about it, but there's a lot of members just like yourself, myself too. I just, I just happen to stick with it, but I was looking for something deeper and more meaningful. That's not taken away from the, all the past masters that passed on their, their knowledge uh, to me and not all their knowledge, right. But enough for me to know good habits and stuff like that. Um, and how important performing the ritual correctly is, but you mentioned the esoteric. So just give us just a little bit of that. And as you progress and talk about how important it is to guard the West gate and what, what it means. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I've, I've been going to, since I, uh, started being active in, in masonry and in, in 2012. Um, the, the, the next year I joined the research lodge and, and um, <clears throat> you know, I, I realized that during the time I had been gone, this movement had, had come about. And um, I've been uh, since then going every year to Masonic Restoration Foundation meetings. And that is the common story for most of the people that are involved in this, in this movement to restore traditional practices and, and, um, uh, you know, I, I ended up, uh, spending the time I would have been spending in masonry, um, uh, studying esoteric stuff, most, mostly in the, in the, um, uh, theosophical, uh, uh, realm but um the the uh as you would see if you started reading the fraternal reviews we we keep trying to demonstrate how freemasonry is in the stream of what's often called the ancient wisdom although i think the better term for it is the ageless wisdom because it's still going on, and and um, so we we we've published magazines connecting us with uh, with uh, Kabbalah, with Stoicism, with uh, uh, Rosicrucianism, all all of these spiritual teachings. Because when you start studying them. You see that they, they, just like if you study comparative religion, there's a lot more in common than there is difference between them. Okay. And where, where they run into, where they run into problems is um, literalism and, and, and um, uh, also uh Saying that 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 you have the truth, okay. um, and and nobody else that Christianity particularly, and I partly it's what I'm most familiar with. But I've studied a lot of the world's religions, and and um, Christianity has this thing of no matter how religious or 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 pious or anything else that you are. If you don't accept their doctrine, you're going to hell. 
well, that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like a God who is the universal parent of everybody. Um, and and um, to to top off a point that you made right now, um, if if you and I mentioned this in, in previous prior podcast, and that is if you read Anderson's Constitution and you mentioned it earlier, and you read the beginning, the the mythological you know uh, tale. Adam was the first Mason. You understand that what we what we are involved in is an allegorical, symbolical, right. uh, mythological. But that doesn't mean that it's that there is no truth to it. That just means that because it's symbolical, we have to find the key. And once we find the key, now we can read what's read, really being said read, read our last issue december of last year which is on the subject of truth yeah. and there's a big difference between fact and truth and and truth uh, i i think the bible is the same thing it's allegorical hmm. um to think that uh that um the, the the there was a flood and and all the species was eliminated to one male and one female and they all regenerated from that yeah uh, any biologist would tell you you can't regenerate <laughs> a species from only two 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 animals uh, all right all right all right wait, but, so we got but, we, we got a little bit any, off, tra off track anyway you know? so so yeah. there's there's deeper meanings to all all of of these um, all of our symbols of, of all of our principles, and they all interrelate to one another in many, many ways. And, and, and um, reading what others have written about it and uh, discussing it and that sort of thing is, is the, the mental aspects of it. To really get into the spiritual aspects of it, you should be doing, uh, we're, we're advised many places uh, well, let's say several places in the ritual itself to contemplate on something, to to uh, uh, to uh, what it comes down to is is contemplative practices um, and and meditation and and that sort of thing um, to to really have a deeper understanding of things and and. To, so observant masonry um, really emphasizes Masonic education. It really ex uh, emphasizes, um, uh, particularly in the ritual work, uh, being formal about it, and and um, and to 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 take your time. Um, and uh, so uh, here's how we guard the West Gate at, at uh, South Pasadena Lodge where I'm, I'm most active and I'm very involved in this particular aspect. When somebody comes to our lodge um, that, and, and, and they, they become what we call a prospect and we make sure that they, they, they have to come for at least six months and, and um, they have to get to know a number of, of people. And um, so 
we the the those of us who are who are really trying to to steer the boat so to speak um make sure they they sit with different people and 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 get acquainted and 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 direct your conversations around masonry not just not just the social stuff and we we start off with the fact that we're not trying to capture anybody um we 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 tell them in these conversations over that that six months or more um, what kind of lodge we are that we really emphasize masonic education we do everything slowly it's going to take you six months to get a petition guess what it's going to take you a few months between each of your degrees we have a series of classes that you're going to take um, we have a uh, uh, a number of things you have to attend a certain number of events you have to uh, serve at a couple of these events you have to go to a couple of uh, uh, lectures you have to actually give a talk to the lodge about something that you've learned of importance to you uh, in each degree before you go on to the next degree so if we also um talk about what our lodge culture is and we tell them you know if if this isn't the kind of lodge you want there are other kinds of lodges and we can refer you to we recommend that you go visit more lodges than just ours so that you're getting a good fit and um another thing that's that's really ignored um is that there are there's at least one place in the oaths and and there's at least one or two in the charges and the degrees where you commit yourself to never recommending somebody to the fraternity unless you have genuine knowledge of that person and you have uh, uh, judged that there's somebody who is a good fit for your lodge and and somebody who 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 is 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 not just a decent person um, but somebody that a lot of people are satisfied with how good a person they are mm. and freemasonry real freemasonry uh, uh, is for people who want to be better and so you're you're if you sign somebody's petition, you're you're endorsing that you you think they are somebody that wants to be better, and that is a good candidate to become better at your lodge. We're trying to instill now, and this is something that we teach in the classes that we do. So, all the younger guys that are coming in are getting getting this message. And um, one of them that, that I, I, I don't see that there's any rule like this. I don't think you could pass a rule like this. But we're trying to instill it in our lodge that if you sign the petition of a person to join the lodge, you're making a commitment to that person and to the lodge that you will mentor that person. And, and um, so a, a, lot of, a lot of people feel like 
that if they sign a petition, they've they've brought somebody in and they they get a red a, a gold star or something in their and uh, uh, I don't know the Akashic records or something, <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah. that's not a that's not a personal achievement. It's a service, and one of the things about about Freemasonry is it's not about personal achieving it's about service it's about service to a group when you say brotherly love that means when you're talking about love you're talking about putting others before yourself so so that's that's the kind of person that we're looking for at our lodge we make that clear up front and and um and we, we point a person that doesn't, that doesn't have that kind of, a, of, a, of an attitude, we'll point them to other lodges. Um, and and um, uh, that's, that's what guarding the West, the West Gate is about. And um, there's also an interior element Guarding your own personal Westgate, what what kind of what kind of activities, what kind of thoughts, and so on, do you let come in and occupy your consciousness? What kind of motivations do you uh, do you um, develop for yourself that are that are um, that are altruistic, that are that are that are not selfish. If 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 you take that approach, um, and you do good service, the rewards will come to you. Uh, if there's there's a a tendency in in uh, lodges that are not observant to to rush everything. Um, when I, when I, when I joined, um, I, I got my, my first and second degrees in June. And, um, I was very good at, uh, at, uh, memorization. And my dad was a, uh, was a, a coach. Hmm. Um, and so we would do the memory work, uh, you know, after dinner every night and so on. Um, and then I went back to school and came back and, and got my, my next degree. And uh, there was nothing in between the degrees. Uh, there was Masonic education meant ritual practice. Yeah. And as I said before, if, if all you get is the ritual, you have opened the door, but you have not gone through it. It takes time and... Uh... It does. It, it takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, personal effort on the part of the EA and also uh, the lodge assigning somebody that can help that EA. Hopefully it's more than just one brother um, because there's a right. lot of moving parts to keep a lodge running, but assign a brother that's well qualified to be to be able to navigate a lot of the uh, history, uh, you know, just like the, for this podcast, right? The, the mysterious origins history traditions and, and symbols of the lodge in a way that by the time they become master masons along with their memory work along with the 
personal uh, explorations that you have conducted with him and along with the paper, hopefully a paper or, or some kind of uh, oral presentation to the lodge that he's given because he's demonstrating that he has contemplated on maybe one or two symbols or happenings going on uh, of the first, second and third degree. It, it takes time and it takes dedication and commitment. And when a lodge goes into default mode, I call it, right? Because a lot of lodges that aren't practicing these observant uh, practices, um, they go into default mode and they all of a sudden find themselves rushing uh, people through the degrees because it, because they don't know why. They just don't know why. They just know that they got to hurry up and rush them through before they lose them because if they don't, uh, because if they lose them, then they're going to have to start all over again. And, and But this time they're going to have to go faster. You know, it's a weird. It's this well, weird, and if you uh, don't have that kind of an education program, what happens is at least we're in a jurisdiction where once you're an entered apprentice, you can attend the state of meetings. So you can actually see Freemasonry going on. <clears throat> but a lot of times somebody, somebody becomes an entered apprentice and then there's nothing for them to do. Uh, and the, the classes give them something. And, and what we've been able to do now the last three or four years is um, we, we, while we're doing the second degrees and third degrees, we're, we're letting a number of people that have been voted in, um, we, we get up to a group, the, the group that we're taking through now that are, that are, um, uh, entered apprentices, uh, and, and we're, we're just going to be starting their, their, um, their, their fellow craft degrees. We have a group of seven. The previous one we had was a group of eight. And so having them go through as a group like that also lets them mentor each other. Mm -hmm. So they, they have to attend four classes and, 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 um, and uh, they, 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 they coach one another as well as having a coach and um, they discuss stuff together in the classes. We, we do meditations in the classes, um, all kinds of stuff like that. So that, so that by the time they, they are getting their degrees, they are also developing a, a, uh, a group camaraderie with the with with the guys that are that are at their at their degree level and um so far it's it's uh it's it's been uh working really well we're we're trying to get that you you can't just impose a rule <laughs> on a lodge you know our lodge is uh a hundred years old and i think a hundred and thirty or something like that anyway um it's uh, an, another thing that I would I have been advocating for, and that I would like to see become a practice is that um, when you get around to where, when you're going to vote on a candidate, that the people that the two men that have um, signed their petitions should have a word to say to the lodge about this. Why why did why did you why did you sign this guy's petition? What 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 about 
what a what tells you that this guy is going to be a good guy for our lodge a good fit a good yeah yeah and, but, and you know all that takes someone what you're talking about is a is a tighter focus on the right. uh, on the because part of this is lodge administration you know part of this is is right. um is the ability of the leadership not only the elected officials but the people the members that are helping as well because you have sideliners that that help uh, in in their own capacity that uh are actively communicating with one another know what the program is so that they can help push it forward and knowing the like you were saying earlier the you will be rewarded the rewards will be tenfold once the lodge starts functioning in that manner uh regardless of of what outside the outside uh, will say and and again is it going to be work yeah it's going to be work it's you know there's there, there's uh, there's a definite uh, i think masonry freemasonry has to stop using the excuse that when things starts going rough and and people start getting tired they always go to the default well you know it's just a voluntary organization they have to stop using that because that gives you your exit you know that that does that right. gives you the excuse not to commit uh, the way you would have to commit in order to make something happen like what you guys are making happen at South Pasadena to 90 Lodge. It's it, because a number of brothers have to be on board and then, and right. then the momentum will begin to uh, increase over, we, over we, time. We emphasize if, if, if you want a, a really easy social life in masonry, uh, there's, there's any number of lodges that you can go to, but we, we want you, if what you want to do is work at Masonry, mm. it is as symbolized by the Ashlers, another first degree uh, uh, symbol. Um, the work of self-improvement is the, exactly that. It is work and it is, it is the work of a lifetime. That's why the perfect Ashler is an ideal. Uh, becoming a perfect ashler is like walking toward the horizon. It recedes from you as you approach it, and and um, you we 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 don't have have a, a a stage in masonry where you have reached perfection. No nobody's perfect. Human beings aren't perfect. Um, we all we all make our mistakes, and one of the things that that I have that I have really learned a lot. The older I get, the more important I see it to be not in a hurry. Um, it it really is it really is the journey, not the destination. And, and so um, that, that's, that's what's guarding the Westgate. And I, and I think that if, if we do that, if we're willing to, to um, hold one another to high standards, that we may end up with a, with a bit smaller fraternity, but it'll be a fraternity of people who really do live the principles of masonry just not just know how to recite 
Well, I think that's what a lot of people were expecting to begin with. And when they're not given that, it's a letdown. It's a huge letdown. And the problem is that the prospect or the new candidate will never tell us that. They, they will not tell us that they've been let down, that they were expecting exactly what we've been talking about today. Like, like uh, uh, you know, if there was a, a way that I knew how to, to uh, spread this podcast, it's just this conversation, there's many entrepreneurs, prospects, fellow crafts, master masons that are, are hungry for this type of conversation. They want this type of conversation. They want this type of insight. They want uh, to talk to brothers that are knowledgeable and that are willing to share their, their knowledge and information to help enrich their own personal journey and their own personal understanding of the first, second, third degrees, you know, and, and, uh, and what it can possibly all mean or what it can mean to them. But, um, Worshipful, we've been going at this for two hours as I thought we would. We, yeah. we easily crossed the two-hour mark, and I know we can easily do another hour uh, or so, but I want to save some of that energy for future episodes here. Um, the last thing I want to do is, once again, I, I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge the, the amount of time and effort you have spent on your own personal research, your own personal studies. Uh, your own personal efforts to spread the word of what you feel in your heart and soul that Freemasonry should be like these talks that you give and this talk that you're working on now on, on guarding the West Gate. And I can't wait to hear it. Um, and, you know, I acknowledge your lodge for what it's doing, because, you know, personally, uh, sitting in the East, as many times I do, as I did, I know how much time and effort and dedication it takes to get one project going, let alone you know, a project that ha that is uh, multifaceted and has many moving parts to it. So I want to acknowledge that as well. And I want to thank you for coming here once again and willing to share, you, you know, uh, uh, open your heart and soul to, to the listeners, to me and anybody else who's willing to listen. And I wanted to, uh, you know, just let you know that uh, that that's it. It was everything I thought it would be and, and a whole lot more. And I know we're going to have many more uh, of these conversations. I got some ideas. I'll talk to you after this uh, podcast. So sure. I'll hand it over to you. And what do you have? Uh, you know, any last words? Well, the, the, the same thing back at you. And, and I think that you and I would be an example of, of something that I was working together is is something that 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 creates a bond between men and well between people in general um but uh uh the 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 work is its own reward and and um you're you're you you you're making yourself a better person and you're making yourself a better person not not just for for your brothers, but but uh, for for your wives, your children, your friends who are not masonry. None of this is uh, is exclusive. We every time we're told that we should be acting this way toward a brother, it's always uh, there's always this extra thing of and toward all mankind. You know, when you talk about the trowel spreading the cement of uh, brotherly love, um, the, the right, right in there in the ritual, it's toward all, toward all mankind. 
and and um in the in the way things are going these days you know it, it, this 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 uh pandemic has has really uh, put into sharp relief how important this kind of thing is and we're there's a lot of alienation going on and and uh we need we need to counter it and and um encouraging one another and 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 working together that's 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 how it's going to happen i um do uh, mentoring also for the parents of head start children in a nonprofit that i'm on the board of and um one of the things that i that i that i kind of preach i guess is that um when when you share credit for whatever you've done share credit with the others who who contributed to that mm. um the it's multiplied not divided very well said and um i also like to encourage uh, all my listeners uh as you well know you know it's called masonic muscle i mean for one to increase our masonic muscle of the knowledge of you know the origins history traditions and symbols of Freemasonry, but also the, the physical uh, part. And uh, right now during this pandemic, more than anything, I still find, I'm still puzzled and shocked that more physicians aren't giving us common sense recommendations as to, hey, get, get some exercise, get healthier, uh, take your vitamins, you know, drink more water, get some good rest and help your body get stronger so that your immune system can also get stronger and help us uh, get through this thing, get to the other side of this stronger, better, you know, physically, mentally. So I like to, and I continue to uh, encourage not only my brethren in masonry out there, but everywhere that I can, uh, that I know of to get out there and, and, um, and get, take control of the level of your physical fitness by degrees only maybe at, at first, but it accumulate and the work will be its own reward. You will feel better. You will uh, be better able to resist, um, you know, other infirmities, uh, you know, injuries to, to your limbs or what have you. And also you just have a better sense of well-being when you do. So now combine this with some uh, good talks on Masonic history that we just did. And hey, man, we, we, we've hit all you know, points uh, of the square that, uh, that we need to hit. So this is a uh, Masonic muscle. Again, another, another uh, strong session, another, I mean, we, we put in some, we, we put in some heavy work today. We did some heavy lifting today for all those who were uh, listening and who will be listening. Please share this with whoever you think will, will enjoy it. And uh, we'll see Jerry L again. Believe me, we will hear him again on this podcast because we have much more to talk about as you guys can see if we did sure. two hours easily we'll do two more hours easily uh on another episode so with that this this, this reminds me one of my favorite masonic pins is a nice black uh, uh double cube and it says be the example and set an example for your brother set an example as, as hard as that's going to be sometimes, brothers, and you guys sure. know who I'm talking to out there, as hard as it's going to be sometimes to be the example, as hard as it is to bite your tongue, as hard as, as it is to, to take the easy road, 
to, to be the example means you're doing stuff even when people aren't looking. So with that, I will sign off on this episode. This has been, this is a Masonic muscle. Get out there, move around, read some books, read the books that we recommended or that you heard us talking about today, the articles that we uh, mentioned today and increase and strengthen your Masonic muscle. Good day now.